about ready to start. I think everybody's here, so I'm ready to start. So let's just rock and roll here. Well, glad to have everybody with us again this morning. It's a little, little like my weather this morning here. I didn't think y'all got that cool. <laughs> I thought y'all we went from hot to almost hot. <laughs> it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. So we are continuing our look at just uh, pages in the life of Jesus. And I think these are just wonderful, wonderful studies to have as we think about Jesus. And today we're going to look at, uh, it's kind of a longer <coughs> section, that's why I want to do it today in case it takes too long. And so we want to, we want to look at a section of miracles uh, found in the book of Mark. But before we get there, I want to grab a passage in the book of Matthew with you. We'll go to Matthew 4 to begin with, just kind of set some background to this. And kind of get going. Let's uh, let's start with the prayer, and then we'll get started. We thank you, Father, for this new day, and we're thankful that we can start this day this way, thinking about you, Father. We're thankful for your incredible Son, the life he lived, the footprints he left, and the way he touches our hearts. Be with us this day. Be with those who are hurting, Father, and be with us as we preach your word. May we connect with hearts, Father. May we help people see you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, you know, when, when you study the life of Jesus, and particularly you focus on the miracles, um, there are some definite <coughs> miracles we know he did, but there is no way of knowing how many he did. And so we, we come across passages like Matthew 4, 24, and this is not the only place this is found. This is found several times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in Matthew 4.24, the news about him went out into all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, taken with various diseases and pains, dynamics, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. And so right there we say, well, how many did he heal? Oh, who knows? Who knows? And, you know, I think sometimes when we think like the Sermon on the Mount, or some of these gatherings we see with the multitudes before Jesus, I know Luke 12 says, there were so many thousands that they were stepping on each other. I sometimes think we, in our minds, we get it's kind of like a church service. They're kind of like here. Here we all are. But when I read stuff like that, you know, you can just imagine, here's a, here's a young couple, young parents, and they got a sick kid, and they're trying to work their way up to the front. Here's somebody that has a demon, and everyone's kind of getting away from that guy. Who, and when you look at it, the multitudes probably look like uh, the emergency room of a hospital. I mean... And they were coming to Jesus mostly for wellness, okay? They didn't fully get the salvation part. And so Jesus was there. He was doing these miracles. And as he's doing them, he's trying to press upon them that I can do what no one else can do. And there were footnotes that I am God. But I think it's kind of good to kind of get that setting before our minds as we think about that. Now today we're going to go to Mark 5. We're going to begin in Mark 4, but then we're going to go to Mark 5. Um, I teach a class every other Thursday. We call it our Connections class. And it's just 20, 25-year-olds. That's, that's the age limit. Okay, 20, 25. And they meet in my office or other preacher Jason's office. And we just kind of sit around and we have a little study. And, and I'm always asking questions. Sometimes it's just silly questions. And sometimes it's just thought questions. And when we were together last Thursday, I, I asked him, I said, if in your Bible you could only have one book, 
got 66 books in the Bible. If you only have one book, and that was your Bible, what would it be? They all went around, gave me their answers. So they said, what, what about you? And I said, Book of Mark. Book of Mark. Just, just love the way it's written. It's written with a lot of action. It moves very fast. And so we're going to start in Mark 4 and just kind of hit some highlights, but then go over to Mark chapter 5. What happens here in Mark 4 and 5 we find Jesus crossing the Sea of Galilee three or four times. And it's at the north end of the Sea of Galilee where he did most of his ministry. About 70% of his ministry was done on that north side of the Sea of Galilee. So he'll do something, cross over, do something there, cross over, and do something else. But what's really impressive about these four miracles, right together here, Mark 4 and Mark 5, it's still, that's what I have here, it, they give us four proofs that Jesus has all authority. Here in Mark 4, he changes the weather. Nobody can change the weather, but God can. Then we get to the first part of Mark chapter 5, he's going to control demons. Nobody could do that. Then in our lesson today, we're going to talk about the woman with the issue of blood. He, he cures a disease. And then as that section ends, there's a little girl he's going to raise from the dead, and he conquers death. And with all of those, what they're showing is that I have all authority. That's why Mark's putting this together, one condensed thing. There's not one thing Jesus cannot do. What's impossible to you, I can do it all. And how he does it is through his voice. Just as God said, and everything came out, I can say to the demon, leave. As we get in today, we're going to talk about how he can talk to a dead person, and that dead person obeys him. Okay, So, so what he's demonstrating is, is, is the power that he has. So let's just grab a couple of the thoughts in chapter 4, and then we'll jump in here. Now, I, I use the New American Standard, and in the New American Standard, in Mark 4, verse 35, all the way down through verse 41, every sentence begins with the word and. You see that? And, 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 and. That's how it is. That's how it's written in the New American Standard. So it says in verse 35, And on that day, when <coughs> evening had come, he said to them, Let us go to the other side. Other side, see a galley. We're on one side, we're going to go to the other side. Even the multitude they took along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And verse 37 says, And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. Now, verse 37, there's three things. You may not know anything about boats. I mean, if somebody says, what side's the starboard side? You may look at the bottom. I, I don't know. You, know, you know. you don't have to know anything about boats, but verse 37 tells everybody three things about boats and waters. First of all, that phrase, a fierce gale. In the Greek language, it's the same words we get for seismos, seismograph, earthquake. Okay, so this just wasn't a little bit of white ripples in the water. This is a serious, serious storm. Okay, now Peter, James, and John—they lived on this water. Okay, and so they were used to things. Matthew, okay, he had a desk job. He was a tax collector. Okay, I imagine the wind first blow, start blowing. Matthew kind of got scared. Okay. So now, the second thing I want you to notice in verse 37, it says, the waves were breaking over the boat. Now, the waves are supposed to be under the boat. If the waves are above your boat, 
you got a guy on a problem there, don't you? Notice the third thing it says in verse 37. So much that the boat was already filling up. Now the water's supposed to be on the outside of the boat, not the inside of the boat. Okay? So, so right there we have a big problem. Now, notice the next verse. And Jesus was asleep on the stern, asleep on the cushion. They woke him and said to him, Teacher, and we said that last uh, yesterday, that's the most common expression for Jesus in the New Testament. Rarely did they call him Jesus. They called him teacher. They said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Notice, notice the word they use. They didn't say, Jesus, can you stop this? Jesus, have you ever seen anything like this? Jesus, is this more powerful than you? They used the word care. Don't you care that we are dying? Now, one of the things we're going to find as we flow through Matthew or Mark four and, and Matthew or Mark four and Mark five is how many times these disciples were scared. Okay, I think we sometimes think, man, it'd be cool being with Jesus. You know, walk with Jesus. See, these people were terrified. And I don't know about you. When was the last time you were really, really scared? These folks think that they're going to die. Okay, and so Jesus, verse thirty and. Uh, 9, rebukes the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. Now think about that for a minute. Who was he talking to? He says he spoke to the wind. Who's he talking to? Sean, you got the answer here. Nobody. <laughs> you know? And it's like, I talked to this wall. What's that mean? The wall's not real. The wind's not he, he, he's basically using this to get them to see that I control the weather. I can control the weather. Okay? And you know, not that the wind has a voice, the wind has a mind, the wind has a will, but, but he was doing that. And the wind died down and became perfectly calm. He said to them, why are you so timid? Well, I can answer that question. Our boat's got water in it. The waves are above the boat. We're about to drown. <laughs> That's an easy question, Jesus. Why are you so timid? How is it you have no faith? And that's an important thought there. Do you think Jesus came from heaven to earth to drown in the boat? No. 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 Where's your faith? Where's your faith? And then verse 41, and they became very much afraid. See that? Two fears right here in this one chapter. Okay? So, so that, that's that. We, we, we go to the next chapter. Okay? They came to the other side, that's what they were doing in this boat, into the land of the Gerasenes. Gerasenes, as you go, as you look at the Sea of Galilee, you know, on the north side up here, over here is Capernaum, and over here is the Gerasenes. This was the Gentile region. This is why in just a moment we're going to be reading about pigs, because pigs and Jews would not be in the same location. Even though, I, you know, I would not own a pig if I was Jew, I wouldn't even be around a pig, because they're unclean. So the very idea that Jesus is over there, he's over there in the Gentile country. Now, verse 2. Okay, And when they had heard him coming out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He had been dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind them anymore, even with a chain. He had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart, and the shackles were broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, day and night, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing himself with stones. 
Now Luke's story of this tells us also that he was naked. Now, imagine you live in that little village down below. Try to get a good night's sleep. Okay? Why don't somebody do something with that guy up there? Imagine having little kids. Do you not go up there? Stay away from that man. The only thing the town could do was chain him up. You know, how brave those guys would get close enough to that guy to chain him up. But he broke the chains. Verse 6. Seeing Jesus from a distance. <clears throat> what does it say? He ran toward Jesus. Now, you're Peter, James, and John, and your, your heart's still going like this because you just about died in the boat. Mm -hmm. And you get out of this boat, and here comes this guy, naked, chains hanging on, running, screaming at you, I'm back in the boat. You know? <laughs> and again, it's like, man, there's no break here. And so through this process, we know Jesus cast the demons out to the pigs. Uh, Luke's account says there's 2,000 pigs. They rush into the sea, and they drown. Now, there's a, there's a little side lesson before we end this one that, that I want you to notice here in, in uh, Mark chapter 5. As this ends, in verse 18 and verse 19, it says, Jesus was getting into the boat. Okay, so we just crossed over. We didn't do much. We just crossed over. Here comes this demon-possessed man. I dealt with him. He's a, he's, the demons are gone. He's sitting down, clothed in his right mind. Now I'm getting back in the boat. We're going to go right back on the other side. I'm just like, back and forth, back and forth. That's what's taking place here. So, uh, he was entreating Jesus that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Now, I want to pull about four or five thoughts on that real quickly here. Okay? If you go to the end of Mark 5, and that's really where our story comes from, at the end of Mark 5. But we get to the end of Mark 5, when Jesus raises this 12-year-old girl... He gave them, verse 43, strict orders that no one should know about this. Okay, now, turn with me to chapter 7 of Mark. Mark 7. And look at verse 36. Mark 7, 36. He gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Then look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 30. Mark 8.30, he warned them to tell no one about him. Now, let's go back over here to Mark 5. The very first person Jesus says, go tell, was a Gentile, demon-possessed man, who used to scream at night among the tombs. Now, if you and I were writing a story, and we're going to pick somebody to be evangelistic, I'm sorry, son, you, you, you don't cut it. You don't cut it. Now, the second thing I want you to notice, what Jesus tells them to do. He doesn't say, now, we're going to have a quarter class at church on evangelism. You need to go through that first. No, he doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't say, stop by the church building and get a handful of tracts. He doesn't do that either. This guy didn't know, I don't think he fully understand what the Lord's mission was. I don't think he understood anything about the church yet. But go tell your people what Jesus has done for you. Now, you have people, and I have people. Your people are not my people. My people are not your people. But every one of us ought to be able to say, this is what Jesus has done for me. Now, here's a thought. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever thought how your life would have turned out had it not been for Jesus? Wonder how many marriages you would have trashed 
had not been for Jesus. Wonder what addictions you would have. Maybe alcohol, maybe narcotics, if it had not been for Jesus. Wonder if you'd been in jail, had it not been for Jesus. Wonder if we'd even be alive today, had it not been for Jesus. So you may not know all the verses of the Bible, you may not know lots, you can't find this and that, but you can tell, you can tell anybody, this is what Jesus did for me. He changed my life. Okay? Now, that's not our lesson today. That's, that's all. <laughs> that's all advertisers. Okay? So today, what we're going to talk about is go to Mark 5. They cross over again. Okay? Verse 21, cross over, and there's two miracles that takes place. Okay? There's the synagogue official, whose little girl's dying, and in the process, there's a woman with the issue of blood. Okay? Now let me read. It's a little long. Let me read the rest of the chapter. A little bit long. Hang in there with me. Then i got some things I want to ask you, and then we're going to look at these two miracles together here. Mark chapter 5. It begins in verse 21. And when they had crossed over again in the boat to the other side. Okay? So what we're seeing here is Changed the weather, he controlled the demons, pretty soon he's going to cure a disease, and then he's going to conquer death. So that's what's taking place in these two chapters. So when he crossed over to the other side, uh, a great multitude gathered around him, and he stayed by the seashore. And one of the officials, named Jairus, came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet, and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come. Lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. When, when I <coughs> teach this a lot of places, I call this the 911 of the Bible. Okay? Um, it's not like she stubbed her toe or she needs a band-aid. She's at the point of death. The, 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 this, this is emergency, okay? And he went off with him, and a great multitude is following him and pressing in on him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, had spent all that she had, and was not helped at all, but had rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I shall get well. Now notice 29 and 30. I want you to notice the word immediately. Mark loves the word immediately. Mm -hmm. And immediately, the flow of blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? His disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, <clears throat> your faith has made you well, Go in peace, <clears throat> excuse me, and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, <clears throat> they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your little daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what has been spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. He allowed no one to follow with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he behold a commotion. People were loudly weeping and wailing. Entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. And they were laughing at him. You just got to stop and think about that, don't you? You just wonder, later on, did that really get him? You know, I'm laughing at Jesus. and I don't have a clue, but he does. But putting them out, 
<clears throat> he took the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Deluta come, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, see that word again? And immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astonished. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. All right, this is a big onion. Okay, we got a lot of layers here, okay, but I want you to see them. Let's begin <clears throat> by noticing some contrasts. There's a contrast between the synagogue official and this woman with the issue of blood, okay? What are some opposites we notice here? There, there, there are several, okay? I'll give you the first one. He's a man, she's a woman. Now today, we wouldn't think much about that. In that culture, that was huge, okay? What's another contrast you notice here? Rich and poor. Absolutely. He was a synagogue official, and he's likely wealthy. We know she's broke. It says she spent all her money, and if you spend all your money, you're broke. Okay? So that's a contrast. What's his name? Jerusalem. What's her name? That's a contrast, isn't it? What's another contrast we notice? She's the one who has the issue. He doesn't. He doesn't. He's asking on behalf of someone else. She's asking for herself. The synagogue come, official comes to Jesus, and how, what does he do? When he first comes up to Jesus, what does he do? First of all, he faces Jesus. Face to face, he falls at his knee. She comes up behind him. Okay? That's a contrast. Okay? Now, there's two similarities. The little girl is 12 years old. This woman had an issue of blood for 12 years. Same time period. And another similarity, in verse 23, the synagogue official says, please come here, lay your hands on her, and she will get well. He was confident. When you get down here to verse 28, the woman with issue of blood, she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. They both had an element of faith about them, and that's kind of impressive. And so, so let's, let's begin by talking about the front part of this. A synagogue official, what's his job description? What, what does a synagogue official do? And don't say officiate the synagogue. I, mean <laughs> <laughs> I got that one. <laughs> in, in a way, in a way. Now, to have a synagogue it took 12 male Jews to form a synagogue. And so when we go through the book of Acts and we find the apostles out there in different places, there's a lot of synagogues. Some places there are no synagogues because there was no 12 male Jews. Some places like Jerusalem had as many as 300 synagogues. Now, what's the difference between a synagogue and the temple? Worship and teaching. How many temples were there? One at a time. And it was in Jerusalem. Synagogues? All over the place. Thousands. <laughs> thousands. Okay. In a synagogue, it was the priest who did things. Okay. Levites helped them, but priests, and predominantly the high priest. In synagogues, remember we read that last night from Luke chapter 4, when Jesus uh, was in uh, one synagogue, they handed him the book, and he read from the book. 
our church services are more like synagogues than temples. Okay? And so the synagogue official, he's in charge of that little synagogue. And so he's going to decide, we have a guest speaker today, we're going to let him speak. And he's in charge of scheduling all that. So that's what a synagogue, a very important job. And so that's, that's the concept of, of what he would have. Now, once you notice, when Jesus gets to the other side, verse 21, a great multitude gathered about him, and verse 22 says, And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet. Now that's significant. He doesn't say, Hey, hey, uh, Mr. Mitch, can, can you not have a private conversation over here? Or, when it, once everybody's gone, uh, can I talk to you? In front of everybody. We don't have time for private conversations. My girl's dying. Now, I say that to say, look with me in Luke 13. I'm going to just grab a couple of these. Luke 13, and in verse 13... It says, Luke 13, 13, And he laid his hands upon her, and immediately she was made erect again, and began glorifying God. And the synagogue official indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Not only has he healed on the Sabbath, you healed in my synagogue. Okay? Then over in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Again, just another uh, example of this. And, and I'm, I'm using these to lead to a point here. Matthew 12. And verse 9 and 10, Matthew 12, 9 and 10, it says, And departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man with a withered hand, and they questioned him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? <clears throat> so, so, typical flavor of the month, the synagogue officials didn't like Jesus. <clears throat> so here's a man who's not just a Jewish leader, he, this is, he's in charge of the synagogue. And he comes before a crowd, and bows down before Jesus. You know, everybody's going to be talking. And he doesn't care about pride now. He doesn't care what you say. He doesn't care about, my girl's dying. And I just don't care. You know, if you've ever had a, a serious 911 incident in your home, and you're rushing someone to the hospital, you don't care about speed limits. Um, years ago, where I, where I preached, um, that's changed now, but I was number one on the alarm list. The alarm goes off, they called me first. I live too far away now. But you have to understand, I got zillions of books. I got a, lot, a big rare collection. So we got a call from the alarm company. Suddenly I'm driving down the street, thought our church building was on fire. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I was worried more about the sprinkler system. You know, that's water and books don't go well, you know. So so when there's an emergency, you don't care what people say. Now I might lose my status as a synagogue official after this. And people might wag their tongues because I'm bowing down before him and I'm saying you can do something no one else can do. And that's powerful as we think about this. So, what's interesting, okay, what's interesting about this, we know from other miracles, Jesus could have said right then, right there, your little girl's okay. He could have done that, but he didn't because I think he knows what's going to take place. So they start going, okay. There's a large crowd following him. And then it says in verse 25 that this woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and she had endured much at the hands of many physicians, spent all that she had, was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. 
Now, Jesus is about how old here, roughly? Roughly? 31. So 12 years ago, how old would he have been? See that? Even before he started doing his ministry, this woman's already sick all this time. All this time. Okay? And likely she had heard about Jesus healing other people. Now, how would, how would you describe her condition today? I mean, what, what, would, what would a day for her be like? I mean, what would she look like? Frail. Frail. Anemic. Anemic. Weak. Okay. Now, let's start going some other directions here. How would she be spiritually? Unclean. She's unclean. unclean. She's unclean. Which means what? You're unclean. What does that mean? She can't be around God's people. She can't worship. She can't really go into the temple. Yeah. Can't go into the temple. Not only that, being a Jewish woman, which which context kind of tells us she was. You know she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Mm-hmm. And she's getting worse and getting worse and getting worse and getting worse. If you said she has no relationship with God, it's a, it's a reflection of her spirituality. Yeah. And so, and so that ha- that, that's part of this. Financially, where's she at? Broke. Broke. Okay. And, and again, if you look at it, it says that she, I, I like the language here, Mark, she has endured much. At the hands of many physicians, and, and if you've ever read some of the things, I mean, there's things like wearing ostrich eggs around your necks, and there's all kinds of stuff today. We would say this is ridiculous, but she'd gone through all that, and nothing had helped. Now, okay, she's she's not getting better. She's not stabilized. She's getting worse. Now she has no money. What's that mean for her? She's desperate. Over she hope, does she? I can't go to the doctor tomorrow. I have no money. And I'm getting worse. So, here's somebody that's hopeless. But, but where's the synagogue official with this little girl? She's dying. He's hopeless. Okay? So, on the way. On the way to the synagogue official's house. Okay? And on the way, okay, she touches Jesus. Okay? Now, you ever been to a large ball game, been to a concert? You know how it is when everybody leaves. You're just kind of banging on each other, you know. So, there, in fact, Jesus even asked, who touched me? And the disciples said, oh, look. And so, obviously, there have been several people touched him. And nothing changed to them. She touched by faith. Okay. That made the difference right there. Now, where do you think she got this idea where it says in verse 27... Um, after hearing about Jesus, what she would have heard is that he's a miracle worker. After hearing about Jesus, came up in a crowd behind him and touched his cloak, for she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. Where do you think she got that idea? I don't have to ask him. I'm going to just touch him. Where did that come from? Well, let's look at her Bible. So there's, a couple, there's a couple places I want you to go with this, okay? And, and, and you'll see this as, as we kind of talk about this, this concept here. Look in chapter 3 of Mark, if you will. Mark 3, verse 10. Mark 3, verse 10. For he healed many with the result that all who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. And then go a little bit later now in the book of Mark. Go to chapter 6 of Mark. Mark 6, 
656, Mark 656, Mark 656, and whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplace and treating him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many touched it, were being cured. You see that? So this wasn't her idea. This wasn't, you know, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know. We upon a star, found four leaf clover, maybe I'm going to touch him. No, this, this is something, this is kind of going on. People kind of knew about that, okay? Now, we come to a big question here, okay? Every time we read this story, we wonder this. Did she steal a miracle? I mean, most times, Jesus is the driving force, you know. Here's a blind man, I'm going to heal you. Here's a blind man, I'm going to heal you. This girl comes up behind him and just touches him. And he says he felt something going out of him. So did she kind of steal a miracle? <coughs> what do you think? I think Jesus knew he did. beforehand. He did. No one else who touched him had anything happen. That's right. And, and I think it was always available and by her faith, it made it possible for her to have it. Just like salvation is available, but we have to have faith to have it. Right. So, so when you look at 27, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Verse 29, immediately the flow of blood was dried up. This was not something she got, you know, without permission, okay? Uh, this is all by the will of God. All, all you know, everything God does is by His will, by His plan. So, so she did not, you know, sneak a little miracle out. He didn't want to do it, and she got it. No, no, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, through all of this, I, I see Jesus in the background is teaching his disciples too. He is with, with this one and what's coming up. That's yeah, why yeah. he takes them off alone by themselves. And when we wrap this up, there's going to be some lessons. Even for us in this, I think some some powerful lessons that we need to. So so twenty nine immediately the flow of blood was dried up. Right. So immediately, if, if that woman was standing right beside you, what would you have noticed? Her color's coming back. Her color's coming back. She may be standing up a little straighter. I mean, her, her vitality, her energy is coming back. I mean, she 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 got well just right then. Now. No, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us what her medical condition was. It, that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to God. You know, whatever you want to call it, it is. And that happened. So then verse 30, immediately, Jesus perceiving himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, why did he do that? It's, it's, it's kind of putting her on the spot. Because she was kind of embarrassed. She doesn't go up in front of him like the synagogue official. She doesn't ask. The synagogue official says, come to my house. She just takes, we might say. And so Jesus stops. Who touched me? And it's like, who took that cookie out of that jar? Taking responsibility for her actions. Okay? He didn't ask because he didn't know. He knew. <clears throat> he knew. Now, I think there's some reasons for this. I think he wants her to know, first of all, I'm not wearing magical clothes. So at the end of the day, if I put my cloak right here, that's the miracle. The miracle's me. I want you to understand that, okay? The power is me. I am God. I want you to see that. I want you to see that what you did was not wrong. 
me. I think she, I think she's a little embarrassed. She came up behind him. Okay, we're gonna read on here a little bit more what takes place in this conversation. But he's going to reassure. He's going to use a word that he uses only two times. It's an extreme word of endearment and acceptance. I, I view it a lot like the way he approached Zacchaeus. He's kind of making a moment out of this relationship that he can have with somebody who he probably shouldn't have a relationship with by right. their standards. So he's taking it. He's taking a time out of his busy schedule, quote unquote, to say this is important to me. These people are important. You're right. To me. Absolutely. Keep your finger here and go over to Acts two. And as Peter preaches about Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 22. Acts 2.22. Acts 2.22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Acts 2.22. Listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested, or it could be the word proven. A man proven to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs. Was God performed through him in your midst? Now, this one going up behind Jesus. Touched him. She's healed. He's cool. She's cool. Nobody else knows, does he? There's a big crowd. And there's so many people. They're all bumping. Jesus is the one people know. Y'all, y'all, a miracle just happened right now, right before your eyes. Mm -hmm. And I want you to know about this, okay? And so, so I think that all of that kind of leads into that. And so, 31. His disciples said to him, "You see the multitude pressing in on you. Do you say who touched you?" And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. Like, here comes fear again in her life. Because she doesn't know what he's going to do. Okay? Verse 33. The woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what happened to her, came and fell down before him. Now, notice the transition. She was behind him. Now she comes in front of him, or, or he turns around. And just like the synagogue official, she falls. He bows. She bows. Okay? Because okay, now, now she, she's well. And told him the whole truth. Now, Luke's account says she tells the whole story. Now, as we're going through this, we sometimes forget there's another story going on here, isn't there? Yes. Okay. Jairus like, what about me? I mean, yes. I mean, yeah. we, we got the ambulance with the red lights on, and you're talking to this woman, and she's well now. Now, now here's one of the cases in the Bible, okay? And this is going to come up at the end. This is one of the times in the Bible where Jesus is Jesus, and you're glad Roger was never Jesus. Because had it been me, I said, honey, you've had this for 12 years. Hang on for another hour. i got to go take care of this little girl. I'll come back and take care of you. No. No. This important synagogue official, this woman, is just as important. And so she tells him, the whole story, it says. And he said to her, verse 34, Daughter. Now, the only other time Jesus uses this is for the bent-over woman. And when he heals that bent-over woman in that synagogue, and I think we may talk about that tomorrow, that the synagogue official, he flips out, has, has all kinds of things, and Jesus uses the word, Daughter. Now, by using that word, what does that mean? If I call you son, what does that mean? You're my father. Relationship. Closeness. For family. We're in this together. She's just not some unknown woman with this weird health issue. Okay? She's not somebody who doesn't count. She's my daughter. Daughter. Okay? Daughter. Now notice. 
your faith. It wasn't my garments that made you well. It was your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be healed of your affliction. So, again, there, there, there's, there's multiple ways we see that she was healed. Now, 35. Something valuable happens in 35. Okay, all this is taking time. While he's still speaking, okay, they came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, your little daughter has died. And anyone that's a dad in here, you just know what you would do. You just collapse. Too late. Too late. She died. Notice what they say after that. Your, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Why did they say that? There's nothing that can be done. In their faith. That's a lack of faith. You can, you can heal a sick person. You can put sight back to a body death, person. Death is but the death, death is nobody, the nobody can bring back the dead. This is something he doesn't even have power over. There's a ceiling. There's a limit on you, Jesus. Okay, and we're going to talk about that in our applications here. Okay, and basically what they said is, it's too late. Now you think about that synagogue official, just looking at that woman. I'm mad at that woman from the house. I am mad at her. I'm mad at her. Yes, I'm mad at her. She messed this up. Yes, yes. And it's too late. It's too late. That's where a lot of people are in life. It's just too late. They just didn't get it. So, Jesus overhearing what was being spoken said to the synagogue official, verse 36, do not be afraid. Notice, notice again how many times fear comes in, this, in these chapters. Fear and see, fear because of who Jesus was, fearing because she got found out. Fear, you see, notice how much time fear is in all of this. Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Now he believed at first, okay, when he first came to Jesus and bowed down to him and said, come and you'll make her well, but now maybe my faith is gone. What Jesus is saying is, Keep believing. Keep believing. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother James. Let's talk about that too for a minute. Okay, the inner trio, Peter, James, and John. Okay. Um, what were they were apostles? <clears throat> James and John were what relation? Brothers. Physical brothers. Okay. Peter had a brother too. What was his name? Henry. You ever notice? It's never. Peter and his brother and John. It's interesting being Andrew. That's good. John Vianney preaching. There's a sermon for you. I got it on my log already. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I really do. For next you month. know <laughs> how, how to walk through life when you're an Andrew. Yep. You know yep. because why why does his brother get to go and I don't get to go? Okay. It's never that way. So takes Peter, James, and John. Okay. And he came to the house of the synagogue official. And he beheld a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. One of the things they had in the first century world, and, and this would just be a lovely job to have, is that you would get paid to go to someone's house and wail. And they play flutes. And you may not know who the person was that died, but, but hey, there's a death in the community. That, and then, okay, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to just make a big scene and cry and all that. Just a big commotion. As this text says, it's a commotion. And people are loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. Now you and I on this side of the cross understand that word. Okay? Uh, the book of Thessalonians talks about that. The book of Corinthians talks about that. When Jesus would raise Lazarus, he said, Our friend Lazarus is asleep. Okay? It's commoner. It's only used of righteous. 
never used of a wicked person. It's used of righteous people. Mm -hmm. When we die, we're asleep. When you're asleep, and my wife always goes to bed before I do. Okay, I stay up real late. She's in bed asleep. She's still alive. Okay. She's not aware of what's going on right now. I mean, I put water. I would never do that. If I could put water on her hand, she would know that, okay? When you're dead, you're still alive. As we talked about last night, you're in that other room. Okay, you may not be aware of what's going on right here, but you're still alive. That's why the Bible uses that word sleep. Entering in the end, he said that. Verse 40, they were laughing at him. Laughing because they didn't get it. They, they, they think, well, she's asleep. We don't need you. We just wake her up. And no one can wake her up. But putting them all aside, he took the child's father and mother and his own companions into the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, to Luther come. Now, what, what's that mean? I know the translation here says, little girl, I say to your eyes, but what's those words? What language is that? Aramaic. Aramaic. So what he's doing here is, this is what Jesus actually said. Mark is, Mark is writing to Christians in other places. They don't know Aramaic. So you'll, you'll, as you read the book of Mark, you'll find several times Mark does that. Here's an Aramaic word. Well, I don't know what that is. Parentheses, this is what it is. Okay? And that this is just one of those places, okay? Immediately, which translated, little girl, I say to you, rise. Now, now right there, that's the fourth point. He could conquer death. He could talk to the dead person, as he would do with Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth, and the dead person would arise. Since my dad died in January, I've been to his grave several times. I can say, hey, dad, this is what's going on. He doesn't hear me. He doesn't hear me. The dead cannot hear me. The dead cannot obey me. With Jesus, there's no limitations to this world or the next world. Now, th now the text doesn't say this, but this was Mr. Rogers' thought on this. Okay, We say you have all authority on heaven and earth. Okay, You can change the weather. You can throw out a demon. Okay, You can cure diseases. How do I know you have authority in the next world? The spirit world. Well, one is the demons. Okay. But the other is, I can talk to the dead and they can do what I tell them. Okay. So that shows you there is no limitations. To He's not confined to earth. He has no, all authority, remember how the phrase goes? I have all authority in heaven and on earth. So how am I going to show this? I'm going to let this girl die. But it's okay, she's just over there. Now, when that little girl died, okay, her body's still there. Because we're going to see that in just a minute. Where's her spirit? What happens when you die? It goes to the waiting place for the dead. You go to the next room. Okay? Your spirit goes to Hades, we would say. Hades is not a bad word. It's, it's, it's called the unseen world. Acts 2 says Jesus went to Hades. Okay? And so, but Jesus has all authority. Heaven and earth. So he could speak to her, speaking to her where she's at. And so for her to come back, what had to happen? Soul left Hades. This, this is what we call resurrection. resurrection. You know, James, James chapter 2 talks about faith and works. And, says, and as it describes that, it talks about the spirit and the body without is death. Mm -hmm. To come back. Now, here's a side point. Okay. The, the flavor of the month of religious bookstores are books written by people who claim they died, went to heaven, came back. Mm -hmm. There's at least 30 books on the market like that. Okay. For that to happen, Somebody had to do a resurrection. It doesn't happen naturally. Okay, a man of God 
had to bring that soul out of Hades and come back. For that to happen, we've got to have miracles today. That doesn't happen. Which tells us all those books are bogus. Okay? You want to know what happens when you die? Read this book. Don't worry about those books. Okay? Now, yeah. <coughs> on over here. So, <clears throat> immediately she got up, began to walk. Immediately they were completely astonished. They had never seen dead come back to life. Okay? And he gave them strict orders that she should be given something to eat and then that they would kind of take care of some things from that. Now, that's the story. I've got three or four points of application with me. Well, any thoughts you have or questions? It's a great power-packed section here about these miracles. Okay? One of the first lessons I want you to see here is the importance of everyone. Okay? The synagogue official was important. His little girl was important. Jesus did not say, don't bother me. Uh, you all don't like me anyway, and so too bad she died. Tough. You know, life, you know, you know, put on your big pants. He goes, this is life. He didn't do that. He cared about it. He cared about this woman, didn't he? In fact, he took care of that woman first. Okay? And so that's the order of things. Now, again, as I said a while ago, I would have probably done it differently. I would have probably taken care of that little girl because she's dying. Let's get that, that's, a, that's a more important thing. That's, if these two people came in an emergency room at the same time, who would be taking care of first? The little girl. Because she's dying. One with issue blood. And I said, over here, I want to take care of you in time. And four hours later, you take care of them, okay? But that's not what happened. And that reminds us, in the congregation, every single person matters. And sometimes we can get the idea and get feeling like, well, I could drop out of sight, nobody cares about me. I'm old, nobody likes old people. Or I'm a woman, nobody cares about me. I'm this, I'm that. Look what Jesus did here care of this woman before this little girl. And, and that shows you that every person is important. And sometimes we can get the idea that I need Jesus more than you need Jesus. My needs are more important than your needs. And I got to come first because I got an urgency. Well, she had an urgency. And so they were equal. Okay? Second thing I want you to notice. I want you to notice the touch of faith. Okay? This woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus, okay, touched the hem of his garment, and then when we get to this down here, <coughs> uh, as we think about this, it says, uh, verse 41, and taking the child by hand, okay, there's something about the touch of faith. Over in the book of Revelation chapter 1, notice how this comes up again, Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Remember when John sees this vision of Jesus, and there's nothing like he's seen before. And verse 17 of Revelation 1, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man, and he laid his right hand upon me. It's okay. Now, coming out of our COVID, of course, we couldn't be sick of anybody, except unless you're at the airport and everywhere else. But, uh, um, we need to remind ourselves how important handshakes are, how important fist bumps are, how important hugs are. There's something about that, and that's important too. Now another lesson I see here from verse 35. You and I can put a ceiling on God. Okay? They came back and said, don't bother him, it's too late. We can think, you know what, my marriage is such a mess. God can't help my marriage. 
or I'm so messed up in addictions, God can't get me out. Or I've got such an attitude problem, I'm so, I'm so unwilling to forgive somebody, even God can't help me. That's putting ceilings on God. God has no ceilings. And so we need to see how important it is to do those things and, and to, to get beyond those things. It's interesting, um, in, in one translation, uh, Goodspeed, he says, Jesus paid no attention to what they said. I like that. That'd be a good thing to write on your computer or your tablet sometimes. Just see you know, all the stuff on Facebook. Just don't pay attention to it. It's, it's, it's there. And then, my last lesson. Um, what, what are some thoughts you see from this? Where you to my last one? Any thoughts you have? <coughs> Can I tie yes. into what you were just saying there when you were reading from Revelation 1, verse 17? <coughs> what Jesus says is, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Yes. So, he is all-powerful, and he's the one who has the keys. He's in charge. So, he's yeah. <clears throat> those two things go hand-in-hand hand with each other. Notice over in John 11, when we get to the resurrection of Lazarus, um, actually both sisters say this, but we really just mostly tag Martha with this, but Mary says the same thing later on. But John 11, 21, Remember, Jesus delayed on purpose so Lazarus would die. He, he, he knew that. Okay. So John eleven twenty one. Martha therefore said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's almost kind of accusing him just a little bit. Okay. Um, you can think about the synagogue official. Had you only been here, she wouldn't have died. But it's okay. It's okay. I'll bring her right back. I mean, to us, it's like, how? But he did that. Okay. What's some other thoughts you have? That was two years apart. What happened to the knowledge in between? Yeah. Well, how many more miracles were done? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The woman was afraid because Jesus was so powerful and she didn't know what he'd do to her. That's it. The man was afraid because he thought Jesus didn't have enough power to raise her. In both cases, the fear paralyzed them. It is. It is. And he disarmed that by <coughs> saying, daughter. Yeah. It's okay. Don't, don't be ashamed of what you did. Don't be ashamed. <coughs> you, 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 you wonder, you wonder, you know, once, once, you know, Jesus had this conversation with her and people, because people around him may not, well, they might have seen her and just saying, you know, look, you know, because her looks and her color wouldn't be right, and, and but then they see all that change. You wonder, man, I wish I touched him. <coughs> I got a bad leg here. I wish I brought Mama today. She could. You, you wonder how many people thought that and just, you know, it's fine. It's interesting that the woman initiates the touch and receives healing. But for the little girl, Jesus initiates the touch. He does. And the little girl, she was, she really wasn't involved in, no. the, in the whole thing other than she had passed away. That's back. it. That's and it. And it, it proves the key to all this is not the formula, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus. It is Jesus. Well, one thing I noticed, you know, he specifically said that she was 12. Jesus loved little children. Yes. And so many times the, the apostle, the apostle, the apostles would say, get these children out of here, they're bothering him. Right. We don't bother him. No. In fact, there's, there's at least three occasions when the mode of the disciples was send them away. When, when it got to be late and there's a multitude and Jesus said, go find them something to eat. And they said, send them away. And Jesus said, no, go find food. They fed the 5,000. Then the children, that was another occasion. And then when the Syrophoenician woman came and wanted help for her demon-possessed daughter, 
the disciples said, she's screaming at us, send her away. We've got to make sure as a church we don't do that. We don't want to be sending people away because, uh, you know, I, I, think, I think out there in the world people have the idea, I've got to get my act together, I've got to be clean before I come to church, okay? And, you know, how can somebody like me come to church like you, you know? And, and the thing is, you don't go to the hospital when you're well. You don't take your car to the car wash when it's clean, okay? You need to see that the church is here for all of us. And, and if we're really being evangelistic, as we should be, we're going to have people in here that have some problems and some issues and problems because they need Jesus. And that's what we did say. What we got through. So um, when you look at the four proofs and the, the 30,000 foot level, um, even though compassion was definitely involved, Jesus was about doing his father's business. Absolutely. His power is showing that. Okay, the last lesson I have is when you go back to verse 42. <coughs> Now this I'll just I'll say this up front. This is Roger's speculation on this, okay? But 41, okay? He goes most likely into the bedroom, okay? There's a little girl laying there. She has died. <clears throat> Mom and dad are there, crying. Peter, James, and John. Jesus takes her by the hand and says, "Little girl, get up." She opens her eyes. Who's the first thing she sees? Her mom. Jesus. Jesus. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but I would like to think when I close my eyes here for the last time and I open it, the first thing I'm going to see is Jesus. Jesus. I don't know if it's going to be that way, but I kind of like to think that. Well, that's, that's it for me today. That, that's a, uh, it was a lot of stuff, but when you, put up, when you put those two chapters together, it really flows. A lot of miracles, a lot of fear, a lot of faith. But more than anything else, a lot of Jesus. And it just shows you how incredible he really was. Okay. Anybody got any final thoughts? Just just another thought that I have. I've always been amazed that Jesus could sleep in the back of that boat with a <coughs> tumultuous storm. But it was at the point where they could perceive that they were perishing. In other words, they were dying. Yeah. That they woke him up yeah. and he addressed the issue. We're all dying. <laughs> Well, and, and, and there's a lesson. Sometimes we wait too late. Yes. Uh, you know, our elders back home have had the, we've said this in the pulpit, you know, don't wait till your boat's going over the waterfall and start calling for oars. You know, it's a little late sometimes, you know. Upstream, when you have some issues, you know, reach out. Your marriage has some trouble up, upstream, get some help. Don't wait till it's going over, you know. Uh, he's packed his bags, he moved out last night. Well, that's, it's getting pretty late now. <laughs> So that's the thing. Yeah, call on him before you perish. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you should call woman Jesus up a little bit earlier, you know, but whatever it is what it is. Well, let's end with a prayer today. We're thankful, Father, that we could have these few moments together to look at you. You're amazing, you're powerful, and as you could stop storms and raise dead and cast out demons, we know you can change our lives, Father. You know you can, we know you can forgive us, you can help us, you can make us be the people that you want us to be. We're so thankful for you, Father. May we have a blessed day today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.